0: Well, it's, it's great to be back here and see you again. It's not that long since we were up, but before that it was a very long time, too long. So it's really nice to be here. I've got um, my friend Lois here, and Lois is Pastor Sam's mother and my daughter's mother-in-law, so we've got lots of ties in or ties up there, which is good. Yeah, it's just great to be back up here and to see you all. We love coming up here. It's a bit cold. I don't know how you did that. Usually it's nice up here. It's supposed to be the winterless north. But anyway, we'll take it as it comes. Just loved your praise and worship. It was beautiful, so thank you. Well, I want to talk about having an undivided heart. And let's face it. That is a real challenge for each and every one of us because we can easily get split off in so many different directions. King David prayed, unite my heart. And you think, okay, how can we have a heart that's not united, a heart that's divided? Well, a lot of us have had our hearts broken, haven't we? We know about that. And I just hate to see people going through the agony of a broken heart at any age. And no doubt, there are some here today who are suffering the pain of a broken heart from various causes. Now, of course, I've been through the classic relationship breakup more than once. And even when Tark and I were going together, he called it off for a while. Now, obviously... We got back together, but it was very real at the time. I had a broken heart. And to make matters even worse, we were both at Bible College and we had no idea that there was this policy that if you broke up when you were at Bible College, somebody had to leave and somebody was going to be me, which I thought was horrendously unfair. Anyway, that was going to happen, and then it got so bad that I went out and had an accident, and I wrote my car off, and then I ended up with this court case for dangerous driving, so things were rapidly going downhill. Now, on the positive side, God gave me an incredible hunger for his word, and I've come to see I've had that Um, I've had that since then in different situations. And I've come to see that that is God's grace at times of, you know, great sorrow and sadness. God's grace, that hunger for his word, just can't get enough of it. And I also came to a place of reaffirming a solid commitment that, hey, even if I never got married, I was going to love and serve God for the rest of my life. But getting kicked out of Bible college was not going to be a great start, I must admit. But anyway, it didn't come to that because obviously we got back together again and so we both continued on and completed Bible college. But, you know, we can have a divided heart over a less painful but ultimately more dangerous cause than a broken heart. Our hearts might not be united because we are double, what do we call it? Let me see. Because we're double-minded. That means our allegiance or our loyalty is sort of getting pulled in two different directions. And bring that into our walk with God, and we are on a slippery slope. In Psalm 86, in verse 11, David says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth, or unite my heart, or give me an undivided heart to fear your name. So, David puts walking with God and having an undivided heart together. Now, we're all trying to do our best to walk with God most of the time, and we know that that can be really hard work. We want to walk with God, but it can be hard. So what's the problem? We love God. Sometimes we love money even more. We desperately want a relationship with God, but sometimes we're just as desperately addicted to drugs, to alcohol, to gambling, to porn. So what gives Well, there's that age-old tug of war that goes on inside of each one of us to varying degrees. On one hand, we love God. We're chosen. We're born again. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. But on the other hand, we're weighed down with these feet of clay. We're Adam's race. You know, we're made of dust. You know, that flaky stuff that tends to crumble under pressure. Even our language reflects this thing about being pulled in two directions. You know, we say, I'm all over the place. I can't get my head together. I'm falling apart. I need to pull myself together. And we all know what that feels like. Sometimes we're tugged one way or the other because we've got good fruit growing in our our hearts, that God stuff, you know, love, peace, all that kind of stuff, but then it's choked out by weeds, the worries and the cares of this life. And let's face it, who doesn't have worries and cares in this life? That could be a problem For every single one of us. So we've really got our work cut out for us to live in this world and to love and to serve God with an undivided heart. So bowing down to worship a false god like Baal is not my problem. And I would bet for most of you it's not your problem either. Our half-heartedness is more likely to be about some kind of issue or problem or temptation that's going to trip us up or divert us off that straight and narrow path that we want to walk on. For example, God requires us to walk in truth. But hey, as human beings, does truth come naturally? A man talked about his little four-year-old nephew that he was looking after. And he said to this little four-year-old boy, his nephew, did you scribble all over my bank statement? No, said the little boy. Well, who did all these wiggly lines on the bank statement? It's not wiggly lines. It's a drawing of, of some wind and some trees. Oh, right, okay. We see that it's getting a lot colder and darker in the mornings now. It's getting so much harder to get out of bed in the mornings and have a prayer time, right? Yeah. Some Christians agonise over tithing. Will I tithe now or will I wait for that elusive time when I can afford it? Which often means never. Sometimes the problem is not about making the wrong choice. It's just about not making a choice at all. We want to have our cake and eat it too. We want God in our lives. We really do. But we would like him to share the top spot with something else, with our money, with our addiction, our studies, our sport, our relationship, our ministry, something else. And most of those things are good things. But if they have, you know, the top spot, if we let them take over our affections... If our heart is not fully set on God, those things can become like an idol to us. Someone said that a person with a divided heart can't decide what team they're on. They can't decide what uniform to wear. They act single, even when they're married. And they're like your proverbial chameleon. They're just absolutely skilled at fitting in to any situation. Well, we could never say that the Old Testament prophet Daniel was skilled at fitting in. He was skilled at standing out, not always very healthy. He was a role model of a man with an undivided heart. He never compromised his faith, even if that could have meant a gruesome death. You know, Daniel never forgot who he was He never let the culture of Babylon invade his soul to the point where it overwhelmed the culture of God within. And he spent almost his entire adult life swimming against the tide. And if we want to remember who we are and love and serve God with an unbelieving heart, we're going to probably have to spend a lot of time swimming against the tide in our culture today. Daniel's life was set apart for God, and I just want to have a little look at this. Leviticus 8 and verse 23. Moses slaughtered the ram and took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. Yuck. Moses was setting Aaron and his sons apart for their job as priests. Now, nowadays, we'd probably just lay hands on them, pray for them, and maybe anoint them with a little drop of oil. But back then, it was real messy. Blood from a sacrificial animal was put on their right ears, their thumbs, and their big toes. Now, the blood on their ears, that was consecrating their hearing. Hearing from God and obeying his word, because hearing is about obeying. Their thumbs were set apart for their sacred duties, in other words, their work. And their big toes, well, that was about their walk, their walk with God. David prayed, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart to fear your name. So walking is a key to having an undivided heart. We've got to get the walk right. Now, I walk in the mornings. Any walkers here? Just us. (laughs) Just us two. Okay, well, we're the walkers. Well, we walk in the morning. Now, even if I've got a headache, I walk. And there are a lot of people out there who are sick, who are in pain, who are struggling with all kinds of problems, but they're still out there walking. You don't need any special gear, you don't have to pay any fees, you just go. There are untold people who can't run, can't play rugby, can't afford to play golf, can't swim, but they can still walk. And like most walkers, I'm out there most days. If it's raining cats and dogs and blowing a gale, then okay, I might give it a miss. But in the natural, walking is pretty much a daily activity. And likewise, our walk with God is a daily activity. Prayer and Bible reading is a daily activity. The Bible says we walk in truth, and that's about knowing God's word, applying it, and doing our best to live in obedience. Now, a bit more about walking. Isaiah 50 and verse 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. So, waiting, waiting and walking. Isaiah says that as we wait on God, that's prayer, reading, pre meetings things like that, we will mount up with wings like eagles. And Emma was alluding to to this this morning in the praise and worship, and it just sounds so wonderful. You know, this is the great encounters with God. When we meet with God, we will catch those great updrafts of the wind of the Spirit, and we will soar and we're changed. It's an encounter with God. And then it talks about running and not getting tired. Well, in the natural scheme of things, the more we run, the more tired we get. So this powerful momentum is totally supernatural. And finally, it says we shall walk and not faint. Okay, walk and not faint faint. The good news is that as we wait on God he will give us the strength that we need, supernatural strength for our Christian walk and we need that. But the bad news is that we're most likely to faint, to bomb out, fall by the wayside in our Christian life when we're walking. You know, it's if we're going to lose the plot it's probably going to be in the daily grind, that one foot after the other routine of life. But as we wait on, on the Lord, we will get that supernatural strength to keep going. So our great need for walking, two things, perseverance on our part and waiting on God, grit and great grace. You know, when it's steep, when it's hot, When it's cold or worse, I think the worst thing in walking is a hailstorm. Who's been in a hailstorm? Yeah, it's the worst, isn't it? It's like someone throwing stones at you. Those are tough times. But, you know, when you're out in the middle of a hailstorm, you can't stop. You've got to keep going. And it's the same walking with God, You know, we've just got to keep going. We've got to reach out in faith for his supernatural grace, and we've got to walk and not faint. And I want to look at King Solomon because he shows us how disastrous it is to have a divided heart. Now, if anyone could ever say, been there, done that, it was Solomon. Solomon was the man who had it all. Everything and he had these two amazing encounters with God. Solomon ran and he soared. He really knew the feeling of the Holy Spirit being the wind beneath his wings. God made him add to that, God made him a genius with supernatural wisdom. He was world famous, he was rich beyond measure. And he had these experiences and blessings that we just couldn't even imagine or dream about. But along with them, of course, he was given very clear instructions. I mean, David, his father, drummed it into him, solemnly urged him. God also commanded him to walk in his ways and in obedience to him. So Solomon soared to these incredible heights he ran great distances, as it were. But when it came down to walking with God, he didn't do it. He didn't go the distance. And on one hand, I think that this is really, really scary because you think, well, well, after someone had encounters like that and they couldn't make it, what hope do we have? And on the other hand, I think it's really quite encouraging because it tells us that to make it and to go the distance and to go all the way with God, we actually don't need great encounters. We just need to be faithful and to wait and to take one step after the other. We just need that grit, that determination. So you can look at it either way. In chapter um, 6 of Matthew, Jesus spoke about Solomon in all his glory. And one commentator says that Israel reached her, the peak of her magnificence when Solomon reigned. But, of course, as we know, underneath, the cracks were starting to show. 1 Kings eleven one, 3, and 4. King Solomon loved many foreign women, many being the operative word. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. So Solomon's disobedience in marrying all these foreign wives led him into idolatry after these encounters with God. And we'll go back a bit and see what God says about that. 1 Kings 10, 9-13. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said, since this is your attitude, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you. Nevertheless, for the sake of David your father, I won't do it during your lifetime. I'll do it to your son. I will not tear the whole kingdom from you, but I will give him one tribe for the sake of David. So stick with me now as we go through a couple of historical facts. This is really important for understanding all the historical books of the Old Testament and also it just shows us the tragedy and the tragic legacy that Solomon left because of his idolatry and how he didn't walk in God's ways. There was wars, wars, loss of lives, families ripped apart, and this whole nation just going deeper and deeper into sin and idolatry until the worst came to the worst. So, first of all, the division of the kingdom. Now, you all know that Saul was the first king of Israel. Saul, the first king, he had the 12 tribes. And then he did no good. God took him out. And David was the next king second king, he had the 12 tribes. And after David died, King Solomon, his son, ruled the 12 tribes. And after Solomon died, as we've just seen, Rehoboam took the throne, but God had said that he would rip it out from his hand. Now, back then, this was a few thousand years ago, but there are some things in life that never change. And back then, the Israelites were hurting because they were having to pay really high taxes. And they didn't want to pay high tax anymore, so when Solomon died, they went to Rehoboam and they said, will you reduce the tax? And he said, well, give me a few days to talk to some people and think about it and I'll get back to you. And so after a few days, he came back and he said to them, my father made your yoke heavy, I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. That is not the way to win friends and influence people. And so after that, they had a civil war. And a royal official called Jeroboam... Okay, now this gets tricky, all right? We have Rehoboam the king. We have Jeroboam the royal official who led the coup. Rehoboam, Jeroboam. Jeroboam led the coup. He took 10 of those 12 tribes and that became Israel and their capital was Samaria. They were the 10 northern tribes, Jeroboam, Samaria. And Rehoboam, Solomon's son, was left with two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. But by that time, there was hardly anything left of Benjamin, so it was pretty well Judah He had the two tribes. They were the two southern tribes, and their capital was Jerusalem, and they were called Judah, all right? So King Solomon, the king with a divided heart, left behind a divided kingdom, a terrible legacy, and things went from bad to worse. Now we'll look at that's the divided kingdom. Now we'll look at the captivities, Now, of course, God's plan was for each of those kingdoms to go on in a godly way, for the kings to rule in a godly way. But things did not go according to plan. And with Israel, the the ten tribes, they had a whole lot of kings, and every single one of them gets an E rating in the Bible, E for evil. They were all bad. After 200 years, God had had enough. God was sending prophet after prophet after prophet and doing everything he could to try and get them back to him, but they wouldn't listen. After 200 years, the superpower of that day, which was Assyria, came and overcame them, and whoever was left, they carried off into captivity, and that was the end of the northern kingdom, at that point anyway. And that was the end of them. Now, the, this southern kingdom of Judah lasted another 150 years. So 300 years from the division of the kingdom, they, um, they had a few good kings, and they were all from David's family, all from David's dynasty. But after 350 years, despite all God's warnings, Sin and idolatry got the better of them, and they were conquered and carried off into captivity by Babylon now. That was the superpower of the day, Babylon. They were there for 70 years, and just as Jeremiah had prophesied, after 70 years, any Jews were allowed to go back to Jerusalem to resettle in the ruins, to build up the walls, rebuild the walls, and rebuild the temple. So there we come to that point. Now, after 70 years of captivity in Jerusalem, that was the death blow to idolatry for the Jews. The Jews have never, ever gone back into idolatry since that time, but it took all those hundreds of years and all that, those dealings of God to get rid of that. So all that horror and loss because of Solomon's going off into idolatry and having that divided heart shocking okay so how can we do it different grit and grace to get our walk right on one hand we have God's supernatural grace to help us and we can't do it without God but then on our heart part we need perseverance we've got to do our side of the work Now, hopefully, we will have encounters with God because they can be life-transforming. We are changed from glory to glory as we behold him. But the thing that we see with Solomon and with so many other people is that, you know, we've got to be careful about these transforming things that we keep walking in them. And there's one thing about change that a lot of people don't get, one thing about encounters that people don't get. Now, guys, this is really, really deep, okay? Really deep. Are you ready for it? Change is only change if you don't change back. Did you get that? Change is only change if you don't change back. And I'll just explain it because I think we all understand probably the most common example that we can think of is the person who wants to lose a bit of weight and get fit. So they go to the gym, they eat healthy, they cut out the sugar, cut out the fat, they exercise, and sure enough, they lose weight, they get fit, they feel fantastic. And they've reached their goal and they've changed. And when they reach their goal, they slacken off a bit and they go back to some of their old ways and they stop going to the gym. And before you know it, they're back in square one. You see, change is only change if you don't change back. What happened? They didn't factor in that reality that you can't change back. You've got to make it a lifestyle change. You've got to go on with something different. You know, I know a person who was an absolutely hopeless alcoholic, and they met with God, and, you know, they got off the booze, they got saved, everything changed, and they had this amazing testimony, and they helped untold people in the church and in the community It was just fantastic. And they were off the booze for decades. And then they went through a great loss. And sadly, they changed back. And they've never managed to get free of it since. And, you know, I just, you know, when we were in the praise and worship, I just had the feeling that there are are people here today who have been through great loss and tragedy, And you're here, and it's almost like God is saying, I want to give you a pat on the back because you're here. Thank you. Because you're still here, having gone through that great loss and sadness. But, you know, people have to be so careful. It's so hard when something big happens not to change back. You know, we can be blessed with an amazing encounter with God like Solomon did, but the challenge is to keep walking in it. And that can be hard, and it usually requires some kind of obedience. And that's where a lot of Christians slip back. They don't mean to, but they end up back in their old ways. God gave Solomon supernatural wisdom, but we don't see much evidence of it later in his life when he tried to please his hundreds of li- wives by following their gods. But he didn't try and please god's and God and follow the instructions that God gave him. So we have to make good choices. Now, Daniel and his three friends were among those Jews who were taken captive to Babylon. They would, they would have been teenagers at the time. And that would have been an unbelievably tragic and horrible time. They probably saw many of their friends and family members killed at that time. And in Babylon, they were picked out for training as wise men, and that meant eating at the king's table. Now, of course, the king ate well, but a lot of the stuff at the king's table was forbidden for Jews. And so they took the dangerous stand of refusing his food. Now, we know the story. It came down to the point that for 10 days, they were allowed just to drink water and to eat um, only vegetables. And at the end of that 10 days, they actually looked healthier than all the others. So they were allowed to continue with that limited diet. And God blessed them. And, you know, a few years later when they took their final exams, they were ten times better than all of their classmates. Now, just one little thing here that we we see is that we've got a better chance of walking with an undivided heart if we walk with others who are like-minded and can encourage us along the way. But we also see that Daniel found the strength to say no to the king's food because he knew who he was. He was forcibly ripped from his homeland. He was put into a training program that he didn't choose. He was given a new name. Who knows what else happened to him? He was made to learn a foreign language and a totally pagan culture, and he was put to work serving in a Babylonian court. But he never forgot that he was a Jew. He never forgot that he was one of God's chosen people. And he never let himself get sucked into that downward pull of that idolatrous lifestyle of Babylon. And guys, we live in a world where biblical values and Christianity are always under attack. So let's never forget who we are. We've always got to be swimming against the tide. And let's work on developing some of that steely resolve on issues that we know are not negotiable for us as Christians. And as we remember who we are, let's every day wait on God for the grace to walk in a way that's worthy of a child of God. Colossians 1 and verse 10, we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. Many years ago, a man called Roy was in prison, been serving his sentence for hold-ups and kidnapping, like bad crimes. While he was in prison, he heard the gospel and he got saved. And God told him, I'll come and live with you and we'll serve this sentence together. And they did. Several years later, Roy was paroled. As he was leaving the prison, another prisoner handed him a letter And it started off, you know that when I came into the jail, I despised preachers and the Bible and anything that smacked of Christianity. I only went to Bible class because there wasn't anything else interesting to do. And then they told me, you were saved. And I said, there's another guy taking the gospel road to get parole. But Roy, I've been watching you for two and a half years. You didn't know it, but I watched you when you were in the yard exercising, when you were working at the shop, when you played, while we were all together at meals, on the way to ourselves and all over. And now I'm a Christian too because I watched you. Now, if Roy had just been another guy taking the gospel road to get parole, he wouldn't have walked in a way that was worthy of his calling. He couldn't have done it. Now, I don't think Roy was soaring or even running. My guess is that most of the time, he was just walking through one dreary day after another. And I think that prison would be a pretty hard place to be a Christian. And he wouldn't have been perfect. No way, because nobody's perfect. And and in prison, it would be very hard. But his walk was consistent because he was single-minded. He had an undivided heart. Whatever it was, it was enough to make someone else think, well, wow, you know, I want what that guy's got. So we can walk worthy even when the walking is tough. You know, God has set us apart, and he wants us to serve him with a united or an undivided heart, not going off in two different directions. We must never forget who we are. We are Christians. We belong to God. We've got to make God our top priority. And there's two important things to walk with God, and that is to wait on him for his grace and just to persevere and to keep putting one foot after the other. Now, some of you might be thinking, hey, but you don't know about my problem, my issue, my addiction. No, I don't. But keep walking. People people with all kinds of problems are walking. You can still walk with problems. Keep waiting on God. You know, the time will come. And we were singing about it this morning. The time will come. You know, sure, your issue is bigger than you are. It's on top of you right now, but your issue, your problem is not bigger than God. It's bigger than you, but it's not bigger than God. And that breakthrough can come at any time. As you walk with him somewhere along the way, he will set you free. God will do it. When you walk with God, anything can happen. And, you know... I think that right now I'm just going to pray and, and this is a good time. There aren't many people here this morning. It's, it's just a quiet moment. And perhaps if we can all stand, because that can just help. And if, if you're here and if, if you're thinking, oh, you know, you don't know what my problem is, or maybe you're really struggling with that internal tug of war, You know, you want to walk with God, but sometimes there's other stuff going on that's almost overwhelming. Or you've made a change for good, but you're struggling to walk in it. Um, Maybe there are situations where you tend to forget who you are. You forget that you're a Christian and you're struggling with that. Or there's just something here this is brought out and something that you want prayer for maybe if you would just like to come forward and and some of the leaders and lois if you can come and we'll just pray for you and ask god to help you and then i'll hand over to pastor paul for the altar call but if you've got some of those issues just feel free to come forward and we'll get someone to come and pray for you